Good morning. I didn't hear you. Good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. Uh, we choose to rejoice in it. We choose to follow Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. In spite of difficulties in our lives, we are going to choose the Lord. In spite of the storms in our lives, we choose to live for him. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you because you are you. You are a God who cares, a God who loves. Lord, what a mighty God we serve. We pray to you that, God, you encourage us this morning. Lord, may your name be glorified. We decrease. We want you to increase in our lives. Your name is above all other names. You are Jehovah El Shaddai, the Almighty One. You are Jehovah Shalom, the one who gives peace as you determine. We thank you. Be with us, and Lord, use the words you have put in my mouth for your glory. We pray and ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you for having me uh, today, and uh, it's a it's an honor uh, and a privilege uh, for the leadership to invite me. Uh, we have had this relationship for quite a number of years, 17 years. Uh, you know, you can imagine if someone who is born and they're finishing high school, we are still relating together. Hallelujah. This is great in spite of uh, all those, you know, teenage years, you know, 16, 17. We are still together. <laughs> Well, this morning I want to read a familiar story. You know, this story is about Jesus. You know, I want us to look at uh, this story. Sometimes we read it, uh, it sounds like uh, it's a fairy tale, but it's a story Jesus is bringing a lesson for us. And this is the most, one of the famous of the storm stories. All the usual elements are there. The sudden and the unexpected storm, the boat helplessly being tossed, and the passengers who were terrified and who feared for their lives. But this time, Jesus, the Son of God in human flesh, was present in the boat. And his presence made all the difference. This story teaches us that he is Lord of the storm. And shows us how we can trust him to see us through the storms of life that we may encounter. Matthew um, chapter 8, uh, verses 23 to 27. The Bible reads, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this? that even winds and sea obey him. This is the word of the Lord. This same Jesus who exercised complete authority over the storm of the sea of Galilee also has authority 
over the storms of life, the difficulties that strike us. He may, in his wisdom and love, allow us to experience them. But they are never outside of his control. With nothing more than a word, he is able to bring the storm to an end. This is not speaking to the storm and then the waves are like coming down, coming down. This is speaking to the storms as high as they are, all of a sudden, glass. No waves. That's the God we worship. We take a closer look at this passage. Um, I won't go in real detail. Um, uh, I'm here. In Zambia, I would do one hour, one and a half hours. Um, but I'm here. I'm mindful of time. Seven lessons we are going to learn from this passage of scripture. We want to pick these seven lessons. What does it mean for us as Christians of today? Number one, storms of life are inevitable. Even if though you are a disciple of Jesus, storms of life are inevitable. It doesn't mean when you are a Christian, you are immune from these storms. They are part of us. Matthew begins by telling us, now when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. I like the word follow. In Greek, akluthen, to follow. The word follow connects this passage with the one that just ended or preceded it. In that previous passage, the two men had sought to follow Jesus, but they were made to, to stop first and count the cost of following. One man had said, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. But Jesus let the man know that he didn't even have a place to lay his own head. No mansion. The other man offered to follow and asked to be excused first, saying, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus let the man know that he demanded to have an even greater priority in the man's life than his own father. Both men had to confront the difficult challenges that come with following Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus means to be a follower of him in every way. It means to go where he says to go. Sometimes I pray, Lord, send me to Hawaii. I'll go. <laughs> Wherever he wants you to go. Do what he says to do. And believe as he says to believe. Not everyone, after they count the cost, is willing to accept the challenge of following Jesus. But the man who entered the boat with Jesus followed him. When they got into the boat to cross over the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they followed him. And that's what identified them as disciples. Disciples follow Jesus wherever he goes. But then look at what happened to these men who followed Jesus. The storm strikes and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. This is a very remarkable storm. The Greek word that Matthew uses to describe it is one that means a shaking 
or a quaking. It is the word that ordinarily used to describe an earthquake. Luke tells us that this was a product of a great wind that suddenly came down upon the lake. These experienced fishermen would ordinarily have been able to tell in advance that a windstorm was coming. But this one was unexpected. Think about what we are told. It came suddenly. It was described as great and it was threatening that we are told that the boat was covered by the waves. When the gospel writer Mark tells us about this same story, he says that the boat was already feeling. I remember one day, um, I was working at Grace Fellowship Church in Costa Mesa when I was in the States. And we had a men's outing. We went on a boat. There were 39 men. And, um, you know, as we passed Catalina Island, uh, we anchored the boat. It was a big boat. All of a sudden, the waves, the wind. You know, I just heard, I was just reading about being seasick. I was seasick. For the first time, it doesn't feel pretty. I told you know, the one who was organizing the owner of the boat, I said, quick, take us back to the land. We are perishing. <laughs> now, that wasn't even real waves. This one, the water was filling the boat. And here is perhaps the most remarkable thing about this storm. It came when they were in the course of simply following Jesus. They were doing the right thing. They were obeying the Son of God. And yet this violent and life-threatening storm fell upon them anyway. There's a great spiritual lesson for us in this. We shouldn't ever think that just because we follow Jesus, we are immune from the storms of life. In fact, they come our way. We need to embrace them. God is at work in our lives. We need to count it all joy as, you know, James writes in James chapter 1 verse 2, 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete. So the first principle is that we should know that the storms of life, They'll come our way. And when they come our way, let's not freak out. Trust him. Second, Jesus is always present in the difficulties of our lives. You know, sometimes we think Jesus is aware. When storms of life come our way, we think, oh my goodness, what happened to us? We are gone. Matthew makes Jesus stand out in Stark contrast to all the panic that was going on around him. Matthew writes, but he was asleep. In fact, in the original language, Matthew even puts it in a way that gives it a certain emphasis. Literally, he writes, but he, he was asleep. But he, he was asleep. 
What a picture that Matthew paints, I believe our God has a great sense of humor. How can Jesus sleep at a time like this? Well, for one very obvious reason, it was because he was tired. He was human. Remember, he was preaching. He was with a crowd. And now he goes on the boat, he falls asleep. He was tired. For another much more profound reason, it was because he wasn't in a panic over the circumstances like we so often are. He was at perfect peace in the midst of the storm because he knew that the storm was under his control at all times. He was in his father's will and he knew that no matter what else happened around him, his father's will would still be fulfilled in him. He had no reason to be afraid. Vividly illustrated by the fact that he was asleep in the midst of the storm. Now, when you and I go through the storm, it may seem as if the Lord isn't aware of it. You know, we are going through pain. We are going through difficulties, financial difficulties. We have maybe no job. Sometimes we think, you know, can the Lord just understand that I need a little bit or my body needs to function the way it's supposed to function? I want to assure us, he never sleeps on us. And if it appears that he does, it's only meant to test our faith in him. He who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep, psalmist says. When you are in the midst of the storm, just remember Jesus is there too in the midst of the storm with you. You need to have a theology which embraces that Jesus is present with you. Is it not the one who said, go into the world and make disciples? Teach them to obey what I have commanded you to do. And though I will be with you always. Sometimes we think he's not there. I want us to know. In our storms of life. In our difficulties. He is there. So difficulties or trying time will come. But Jesus is with us in the storm. In, in them. And this leads us to a third lesson. When we are faced with difficulties, we should cry out to Jesus. Cry out to him. The disciples certainly did the, te- the best thing they could do. In fact, they did the only thing they could do. They cried out to Jesus and woke him from his sleep. Matthew tells us, then his disciples came to him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. You know, this is a prayer. Lord, save us. We are perishing. What a fantastic... If we analyze it it, carefully in the word Lord, we see that they knew who to go to. Who to go to. And also in what manner of reverence they should approach him. You know when we are in pain and things are happening to us, the crying out shouldn't shouldn't be, where's my my medical doctor? Can you call my medical doctor? I, I I am perishing. Well, the first thing is, Lord, save me. 
That's the one we need to go to first. To call him Lord in this case was to confess his deity. In the second word, save, we see that they knew what they needed. They needed him to rescue them. They laid out their need before him. And in the third word translated, we perish, they rightly stated their situation and rightly understood how helpless they were unless he did what they asked. And we need to practice this. Sometimes we feel content. We feel we can organize things on our own. We need to know that God is there for us. We can call on him. If I may say so, that's a great sinner's prayer. If ever there was one, Lord, save me, I perish. You can't be saved unless you admit your need. Cry out to him as Lord and plead with him to save you. It also happens to be the perfect prayer to pray in the midst of a storm. The psalmist in Psalm 50 verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. And you shall glorify me. Third lesson. Jesus both rebukes the storm and their lack of their faith. Matthew tells us that Jesus awoke in response to their cry, but he tells us that before he rebuked the wind and the waves, he rebuked his disciples. Why are you so fearful, O you of little faith? We look at what Jesus says about their condition. Jesus says that they are fearful, but the Greek word that is used is not the normal word for fear. There are several Greek words, two Greek words especially, which I know. One is phobos, which is fear. The other one is dialos, means timid or cowardly. It suggests a kind of fearfulness that is unbecoming and inappropriate, even sinful. The only other occasion this word is used in the New Testament apart from this story is in Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 where, it's, where we are told that the cowardly, the fearful shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. And look at what Jesus says about the cause of their sinful condition. He calls them, all you of little faith. Their real problem was being shown up by the storm, and that real problem was their lack of faith in him. You know, sometimes we are fearful, which shows that we don't trust him. But there's another fear, which is reverential fear. We we revere the Lord. We are fearful of him. In other words, we... We give him reverence. But there is fear which is like you lack faith. This is what the disciples demonstrated. Now, I would never want to be misunderstood as being trivial about the trials of life. But we may, that we may go through. The storms that we go through are very real. And at times very terrible. But each storm is allowed by our Lord to encourage us to place our trust in something about himself that we already been taught. We need to be ready to meet the Lord on a daily basis. 
know, yesterday I received uh, a message, a friend of mine uh, from Australia, uh, who is, um, was a banker for a long time. I mean, if you meet, met this man, perfect body, ate very well. He was maybe around 66 years old. The gentleman you see in him, you go very healthy. Yesterday, as he was preparing for to speak at home, before he goes to his car, he collapsed and died. To be ready at all times. Not to be afraid of storms, but really to have this reverential fear for God. That our lives are in his hands. Anytime we can expire. Anytime we can exit. This is not like I'm 25 years, so I have another 75 years or, you know, to go. No. You don't know the number of years. Though we claim three score and ten, 70 years, but God has the days uh, of our days in his hands. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We need to cry out to God, but not to have this fearful cry, cowardly, which leads to sin, but we need to be having that reverential fear. The fifth lesson is that with a word, Jesus is able to change a great storm into a great calm. The Bible tells us then he rose, arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. Now just imagine that he actually scolded the weather and the water. Ordinarily that would seem crazy to personalize wind and waves and talk to them. But the results speak for themselves because we are told, and there was a great calm. Only Jesus, they can hear Jesus. In fact, Luke tells us that the wind and the raging of the water ceased. There wasn't even a mere lessening of the wind and a gradual decline in the waves, they ceased altogether. And it went from great tempest to great calm in a moment's time under the word of Jesus. He proved this when he was in the storm with his disciples. He is able to do the same for us in the midst of the storms we experience in life. The storm is always under his control. And he is able and he saw commands to turn it from a great tempest into a great calm. By Jesus' word, we embrace his word. He is able to make sure that the storms of life go away. Even if they don't go away, we are at peace within the storms of life. That's the God we worship. Lesson number six, Jesus is sovereign over all areas of our lives. I've heard people talk about, you know, God is sovereign. And yet, you know, he's sovereign when things are good. 
when things are going their way. What about when you are in the thick of it? Storms of life. I often imagine what it must have been like in that boat after the great calm fell upon them. I picture Jesus on one side and the disciples on another. And the disciples, they, you know, they marveled at Jesus. They said, who is this man? Who can this be, they asked, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Literally, their question is, of what manner of man is this? What sort of man is he? The affirmation behind their question is that he's no mere man. He is the sovereign God who is able to command even wind and sea and they obey him. And the implication for us is that he is able to command far lesser things than wind and sea and they too obey him. If he can command wind and waves, he can command everything else that may come in our lives. He calls to us in the midst of the storm is that trust him to have absolute control over all that comes our way. In fact, he's sovereign in everything we do. And we need to make sure that he's sovereign. And so he guides us to our desired heaven. And when the psalmist writes, you know, he then calls for the only proper response, worship, he writes, we need to worship him. All that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. We need to acknowledge him. He's sovereign in every area. He's sovereign over salvation. He's sovereign in the way things work out in our lives because he's God. He's not the God of, oops, I didn't know that this man would do this. That's not the God we worship. We worship a God who knows. Before we pray, Jesus says he knows your prayer. You're thinking you're coming up with a prayer? He gives you words to pray. You think your faith, you originated it? No, it goes, you know, the author and perfect of our faith is who? Jesus, the author. He authors our faith. We need to go to him. Who created us? Who knows our faith more than we know our faith? That's the God we need to worship. The last lesson, when Jesus comes the storm, the result should be that we worship him. We are told by Matthew that the disciples marveled at what had just happened. When we look at the other gospel, we found that it's even more profound. We find that according to Mark, they feared exceedingly. This is a, a different fear. This is a reverential fear. Who is this man? And look, he says, they were afraid. It's very different fear like the one which is in Matthew. This is reverential fear. Worship occurs when we see our great God for who he really is and respond to what we see in an appropriate and heartfelt way. And it is the storms of life that we 
get to see who Jesus really is. And so when we go through the storms with Jesus, and if we are trained by it as we should be, we will come out of the other side worshiping him. Are you being thrown about in the midst of storm right now? Are you going through storms? Trust him. He's with you. Storms of life are inevitable. They will come our way. Trust him. Trust the Lord of lords. The one who is and who is to come. Are you fearful and threatening over the circumstances of your life or are you learning to place your trust in him? Have you called out to him in your despair or are you still striving to do it on your own? Jesus said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Rest even in the midst of the difficulties of life. Wisdom instructs us that Hearing and obeying his word will build our house on a sure foundation that is acclimated to any type of weather. From threatening winds to spiritual smog to sub-zero temperatures. I end with the words of a hymn writer written by Priscilla Owens in 1882. This is a very powerful hymn. She writes... Will you anchor, will, will your anchor hold in the storms of life? When the clouds unfold their wings of strife, when the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? She concludes, you have to be grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. As we go through storms of life, we prepare our hearts that God is at work in our lives. We cry out to him. We know that he is, he is with us and it's inevitable. As followers of Jesus, we we'll go through those. That's not the time to give up. That's the time to hold on to Jesus. We have celebrated North Rise University 15 years. There have been times of you know, you pray and say, Lord, where are you? He has been there. We trust him more and more for what he continues to do. May the Lord continue being with you as you trust him. May you enjoy him. I call it the journey of faith. We need to trust him. Friends, it's not by accident that we are here or we are Christians God has us. Is it not, you know, Paul writes to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, we are his workmanship, created. But there is a path he has laid for us. And God does reveal as we go, we go, uh-huh, that's the path we are on. May the Lord continue being with you. May he bless you. Don't give up. God is with us. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you. We give you glory for your loving kindness. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for the many blessings you have poured upon our lives. We pray for Pastor Wen, uh, that God, you be with him, with his family, even as they prepare a plan 
uh, for their daughter's uh, college. I pray that God you provide for them. Be with them. We thank you, Lord, for many of us who are here. Uh, I pray that you encourage us as we go through the storms of life. That, Father, your word shall ring clear in our minds, in our hearts. That you are Lord and you will save us. We pray and commit the rest of the hours today into your mighty hands. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you.